Hi, this is Kaylin Saucedo, aka Mars Girl of Mars Girl Productions, and you're listening to Nerd to the Third Power. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Nerd of the Third Power, your one-stop shop for all things nerdy and awesome. I am your host and master of ceremonies, Dr. Gonzo. With me, as always, this epic quest of awesomeness is our resident anime goddess, the cat. Cat, how are... Wait a second. What's this? Dear Gonzo, unable to attend this week's recording due to the lurgy. Okay, well, looks like cat's out sick. All right, and in our other co-pilot's chair, we have our resident English person, Skype. Another note. Okay. Dear Gonzo, unable to attend recording, also because of the lurky. P.S. Probably caught it from Cat. Okay, so, uh, alright. Well, in our correspondence corner, we have our comic book guy, Brian. Uh, another note. Dear Gonzo, unable to attend recording because abducted by Ultron. Okay. Getting another one of those, I'm going to expect to see a body. So, uh, John, please tell me that you're here. Uh, not only am I here, but I'm apparently the only one who remembered to get his Lurgy shot this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a rather, uh, rather, rather empty studio uh, this week. So alone, <laughs> so cold, and there are wolves outside. Every, I guess, uh, I guess, Cat uh, and Skyblazer uh, are got sick uh, from uh, overindulgence from celebrating uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Oscar win, like apparently everyone else on the internet. Hell, I'm fr- frankly, I'm surprised that you're here. Well, you know, it's like I, uh, it's like I said earlier, I was expecting it, so it didn't surprise me. Well, which only makes it more of a surprise because I would have thought that, like, you know, you you, you would have been so happy that you'd have wound up, I'd have wound up coming into the the studio this afternoon to find you like sprawled out on the floor with a lampshade on your head and you know a strange Burmese, you know, strange Burmese prostitute around your arm. Listen, okay, I told you the last time, she was Thai, alright? Get it right. Uh, Anyway, so yes, it looks like it's just the two of us today, but it's good that our movie guy has showed up because we're having a rather interesting discussion, and that is the possible rebirth of practical effects in films spurred on by the success of Star Wars. So uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, but of course there is procedure to follow, so we are going to begin, as always, with Ask a Geek. And uh, we've got a few questions here. And speaking of the Oscars, our first one comes from Thomas, and it is for John, of course. And he's got two questions. One, what were your uh, your picks for the Oscars, and who won, and what surprised you? Ah, I always expect the Oscar question every year, and I am always unprepared for the Oscar question every year, because despite being the movie guy, I don't pay as much attention to the Oscars as other people do. As a matter of fact, uh, I was paying more attention to this year because of all the controversy around them than anything else. That having been said, uh, as I just said a few moments ago, I'm apparently the only person who was not surprised by DiCaprio's win. I totally expected him to get it. He's been, uh, as people have said for the past two decades, he's been overdue for a long time now. And uh, I just saw the Scorsese all over again. There was too much buzz about it for it not to happen, especially since he was amazing in The Revenant. Well, I mean, if nothing else, Law of Averages says it had to, it had to happen eventually. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one that was a total non-surprise was Inside Out for uh, Best Animated Feature. I mean, Disney and or Pixar has won that for, like, almost every year for the past decade, practically. So, you know, I'm ex- not expecting that streak to end anytime soon. Um, I was a little surprised that Mad Max uh, got as many awards as it got. Not that it didn't deserve it. It deserved all the attention it got. Uh, but I was surprised that the Academy was actually willing to acknowledge it. Because, you know, that sort of picture isn't usually the sort of thing that uh, the Academy likes to pay a whole lot of attention to. You know, I, I think I've mentioned on the show a couple times that uh, for the longest time every year, me and a group of friends, we would have a, a, a betting pool on the Oscars. And mm-hmm. uh, because I'm poor and destitute and live in a box on the, on the street corner, I was unable to uh, participate in the pool this year. But I know that one of my friends who was a, a big Mag, Mag, Mad Max fanboy, he bet on it to win in every category that it was nominated for. 
And uh, yeah, he's laughing to the bank. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I <laughs> I wouldn't have bet with him. I well, I might have just for for appreciation of Mad Max, but yeah, I couldn't have seen that coming for real. Um, there there were not a whole lot of surprises otherwise for me. I mean, Spotlight was. Uh, a pretty solid Oscar-y choice for best picture, you know, a very serious uh, contemporary social issue, social religious issue, that sort of thing often gets picked up. So yeah, I don't know, there just weren't a lot of surprises for it for me this year. And I didn't, I didn't even, just, just for full disclosure, I was working that night, so I didn't even watch it. I just kind of caught the highlights afterwards. I'd completely forgotten that the Oscars were last night until, like, literally there was just this great roar that rang out over the land when DiCaprio won Best Actor. That was literally the first I heard of it. And uh, let's see. Next question is to me, and it is from Robert. And he asks, since I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan, what am I most looking forward to in the Mortal Kombat X repackage? Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Mortal Kombat X is getting sort of a, 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 a kind of a, a, an extra large edition, an XL edition, uh, basically a Game of the Year edition. With uh, all the the character skins, unlock char- all the additional characters, all the DLC, basically like it's just a big, all in one package. And uh, I actually already have uh, Mortal Kombat X uh, and all the DLC that's been released to this point. Um, but I finally got a look at the the trailer that was put out this weekend uh, for the XL edition. And the thing that I am most excited about is they're bringing back fucking stage fatalities. Literally, the, the, the last scene shown in the trailer is the classic MK1 pit fatality, and I'm like, that was the, that was, that, that was the one thing that was really bummed was missing from the, from the vanilla package was stage fatalities, because, I mean, it's, it's Mortal Kombat. You can't have Mortal Kombat without the pit, so stage fatalities, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Close second, being able to uh, play as the alien against the predator and finally decide which is, finally settle the debate of who would win in a fight. And let's see, uh, another question here for John. This one is this one is from Samantha, and she asks, what is your favorite fan-made movie character costume? So the, the stipulation that she attaches is it's got to be one that they made themselves, not one that they purchased from, you know, like a prop store or something. All right, I actually have a very good answer for this uh, because... Um, Sometime around the end of last year, I was at a convention, and I happened to uh, need to... I was on my way somewhere, I don't remember where, and I remembered I needed to double back for something else, and I wound up being very glad that I did, because if I had not doubled back, I would not have seen this costume. It was a full-scale, movie-accurate, perfectly detailed Skeksy from The Dark Crystal. Um, it was, I believe it was specifically the Chamberlain, you know, the Mr. I, character. I, I, this, this is where I, I'm, I'm probably going to get stoned to death, but I have actually never seen the Dark Crystal, so I don't know what character you're referring to. All right, well, first of all, you suck. Second of all, um, uh, okay, if, have you seen any, like, screen caps or, or, I don't know, even a trailer for the Dark Crystal? I saw, like, they showed, like, a 20-second clip on the TV every hour or so when I worked at Blockbuster, but that's it. All right, the bird monsters, uh, who are basically the bad guys of the film. Those are the Skeksis, and, uh, the one with the most, uh, memorably fleshed-out personality is this little Weasley Chamberlain character who has this habit which annoys the other Skeksis of constantly going, like, mm, all the time whenever he's interested in anything. <laughs> Um, and whoever was in the costume, uh, I did that at them, and they did it back at me. So that uh, that made my entire weekend right there. Uh, but seriously, this thing was a thing of beauty. I have no idea who made it. I, I kept expecting, like, like it, it must have been a trick of the eyes. I kept thinking I was seeing it blinking. Um, and it very obviously wasn't, because I don't think the face had that kind of motion to it. The, the, the jaw did work, the mouth did open and close. But, oh my god, I can't imagine the effort, the time that went into that. It was just perfect. Ugh, gives me chills. Oh, I wish I had the time to pull something like that off. I saw a really good one earlier today. I was browsing on Facebook. Someone posted one of those, uh, you know, it was one of those stupid BuzzFeed article slideshows. But it was this guy who uh, made an entire movie-accurate movie scale predator costume using nothing but a uh, a diving suit and styrofoam that's impressive and 
he, he, he carved it and, and built it and painted it, and by the time it was finished, it looked, it, it, I, it looked movie, it was completely movie accurate. Like, I seriously thought that it was a, a production still from the, from the, from the original film. That's fantastic. See, I love stuff like that. I'm like you. I wish I had the time. I wish I had the money. I wish I had the training. I don't know. Whenever I win the lottery, maybe I'll take some of Stan Winston's special effects classes online or something like that. I don't know why people like that, like, why Hollywood isn't snatching those people up. Because, I mean, this is a guy who, like, the one I saw today, this is a guy who made a Predator costume out of fucking styrofoam and a diving suit. He probably did with like two hundred dollars what it would what would have cost like like three million dollars in a Hollywood production studio. Yeah, I don't know, but Hollywood's pretty stupid about their special effects anyway, which is you know the topic tonight. So, <laughs> indeed, indeed, yes, it is, yes, it is. All right, here's a good uh, here's a good general uh, audience question. Uh, what are some of your favorite giant robots? So uh, this is from uh, Nick on the uh, Facebook. So yeah, favorite giant robots. Um, I'm gonna say Megas XLR. That's an excellent choice. Megas XLR is a good choice for any question, really. What's your favorite Shakespeare play? Megas XLR. <laughs> I missed that show. <laughs> for those who don't know what I'm talking about, who were unlucky, who were unlucky enough to have missed the show, Megas XLR was basically about this uh, this war between... It started with this, this far future war between humanity and this alien race. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. And the, the war the centered... Glorfed, around, that's the Glorf, yeah. The war centered around this super prototype mecha suit that wound up getting sent back in time to, like, 1990s New Jersey, and it wound up losing its head in transit. And it's found by this fat, you know slob greaser New Jersey guy named Coop who winds up rebuilding the robot and putting his sports car on top of the robot to serve as its head slash cockpit yeah. and he's made so many modifications to it that now he's the only person who can pilot it and uh, this soldier from the future has come back to try and bring the suit forward to her time so that you know she can win the war and it's just it's a, it's a hysterical series and I'm so disappointed that it never lasted longer than a single season but fa- f- favorite giant robot Megas XLR because who can say no to a giant robot car well chicks dig giant robots <laughs> um, nice it, you know, it, I, I was going to go straight with this. I was just going to pick Voltron, because Voltron was, like, my first giant robot when I was a kid. The first one that I, I really paid attention to. I was super into Voltron as a kid. I was so into it, in fact, that when the Power Rangers first came on, I was like, they took that from Voltron! And uh, that's exactly how I sounded as a kid. Lion but, Force um, or Vehicle Force? Oh, Lion Force, obviously. I mean, uh... <clears throat> I didn't. Uh, I didn't know about vehicle force until later, and you know, Respect. cars are less cool than lions. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm gonna take that stance. That's a hill I'll die on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, here's a question, actually, for you and me. Oh boy, that's and convenient since it's just the two of us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's from Mark, and he asks, "What are our thoughts on Guillermo del Toro possibly working in video games?" Uh, this is an older one. This was sent uh, uh, before the the PT trailer, the PT demo was released, and then subsequently canned because Konami's a bitch. So uh, don't get me started. I think I've, uh, I've I've said how excited I would be to see Guillermo del Toro uh, working on a Silent Hill type title. But uh, John, what, what 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 do you think? Well, see, that was what uh, that was what got me the most excited about um, Silent Hills in the first place. Because okay. You confessed to never having watched The Dark Crystal. Now it's my time to confess to an unforgivable, unpardonable sin uh, in the video gaming realm. I've never played a Metal Gear game. So, there's that. So, I I know Kojima by reputation, but I don't have experience with his style of uh, of game making and business. Which, I know, I know, this is my loss, but, you know. So, his name didn't get me as excited as Del Toro's name did. And later on, there was a third name attached to the project that apparently was being kept secret that would have gotten me even more excited, but I don't know. I believe that name was Junji Ito, the famed uh, Japanese horror artist. Yes, it was. A man with as messed up an imagination as any I've ever met. I would love to shake his hand. Well, see, if you did, your soul would be forcibly ripped from your body, so I I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying I would have second thoughts. Uh, No, I'm excited. I'm excited about that, because you know 
know my rabid Del Toro fanboyism. I think the most recent announcement he made was that he was doing a movie based on scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, which I'm already jazzed about. So anything he announces, I'm excited about. So I would love to see him in games. And I know he's actually gone to uh, meet with Kojima again recently. So, you know, who knows? Something may come of this yet. And uh, last question here is, uh, again, well, it's, it's marked to... All the Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper fans, but that pretty much just amounts to just you and me. <laughs> it comes from Paul, and he asks if we're excited for the Ratchet and Clank and, and Sly Cooper films. And uh, he also adds an addendum. What do we think of the fact that the Sly Cooper film, we've heard nothing about it since the initial trailer? For me, I get the, the, the that Ratchet and Clank has gotten the bigger push out of the two films. Uh, because Ratchet and Clank was always a really big property for Sony, whereas Sly Cooper had a much smaller fan base. Uh, very devoted, but uh, definitely numerically much smaller. The the whole the, the the disconnect between the two films promotionally kind of raises my eyebrow because it's the same studio that's doing both films. So I don't know if it's just a case of they're doing one film and then going to do Sly Cooper afterwards, or if they've abandoned the Sly Cooper film or what. So, um... I don't know. It's it's. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have to wait. I'll, I'll have to wait and see what happens on that one. John, what about you? Uh, well, you talk about the small but devoted Sly Cooper fan base, and you are talking to someone who was huge, huge into the Sly games. Uh, God, I have so many opinions. I could fill an episode with just with Sly Cooper stuff, but um, I'm not really optimistic about the Sly movie, and it's not because I think it's going to be bad. I can't say for sure whether it would have been bad or good. I just don't think it's going to exist. Uh, I'm looking at its IMDb page right now. Uh, its release date is listed as 2016. Uh, nothing beyond that, just 2016. Uh, no, no month, no date. There are exactly three cast members listed in the, uh, in the credits. And uh, it's Sly Bent, excuse me, Sly Bentley and Murray, and they recast Sly because they wanted a, a Hollywood voice in there, and I have opinions about that too. And that's it. There's no more information. I can tell you that at my theater, uh, they just recently put up a Ratchet and Clank poster, and you look at their page. There's a specific date. There's a whole cast list, etc. It's just, I don't know. I feel like. Um, Either the Sly Cooper movie got put in the back burner, or put on the back burner, or... <laughs> or actually, no, that Freudian slip may have been accurate. It may have been put in the back burner and set ablaze. <laughs> I'd like to believe, because I love Sly, and I wish his franchise got as much attention as uh, Ratchet & Clank did, because it's a really underrated series. You know what I just but... realized is really telling about this whole thing? There's there's already a video game being made of the Ratchet and Clank movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, there, there's a video game being made of a movie about a video game. Yeah, so that, like Street Fighter the movie the game. Yeah, <laughs> but there's been no similar announcement made for Ratchet and Clank that I'm aware of. I mean, you Ratchet mean Sly Cooper? Yeah, yeah for Sly yeah, Cooper. Me either, me either. Because uh, I mean, there was um, there was the original three Sly games made by Sucker Punch, which was the creator. Then they um. A new studio, uh, an upstart studio called Sanzaru, who were fans of the original three, kind of lobbied to make a fourth one to keep the story going, and that's how uh, the most recent one on the PS3, Sly Cooper, uh, Thieves in Time, came into being. And ever since Thieves in Time, there's just been total silence on the Sly franchise. Uh, nobody knows if anyone is working on a new game or not, or if that's really it, which is, you know, unfortunate, because it left off on a freaking cliffhanger. But, um... Yeah, there's definitely been nothing announced about a movie tie-in game, so I don't know. You uh, you may have a point there. This uh, just may be something that's they were gonna do, and it just kind of floated off into limbo. I mean, they even made a teaser trailer, which is what gets me. So they had they had the voices and they had the character design. So I don't know what's going on here. I'd love to be proven wrong, though. I'd love to see this movie just show up and be good and and be everything that I would enjoy it being, but... We know that the Ratchet and Clank movie is coming out, so who knows? Maybe if that's a success, then, you know, we'll start hearing more about Sly Cooper. Yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Because I will see the Ratchet and Clank movie. That looks fun. Or maybe, you know, maybe probably more likely is that if the Ratchet and Clank movie is actually good, then this will be something that the universe simply cannot stand and reality will be torn asunder and only to be replaced with something even more strange and inexplicable. 
Of course, some people say that's already happened before. <laughs> all right, but that's all the Ask Geek questions that we have for this week. As always, you can send them to us through the email at drgonzo at nerdofthethirdpower.com, or you can drop them in our permanent thread on our Facebook page if you're one of our Facebook faithful. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and get those questions in. We love hearing from you guys, love reading your questions on the air. So, yeah, get those questions in. You might get lucky and have yours read on air. So unless you were living under a rock, it probably uh, didn't escape your notice that the Star Wars film has the that Star Wars: The Force Awakens has made all of the money, uh, broken many many records, and uh, if you've seen the film, you might also have noticed a gulf between The Force Awakens and the prequel trilogy via the how the special effects were accomplished. There were a lot of practical effects in this film. Uh, and even some effects that I noticed that could easily, that, that probably should have been done with CGI, uh, but that were pulled off with practical effects and done really phenomenally well. And, you know, we've complained for many, many a year on this show about how CGI has just sort of eaten film production. So I guess now I want to put the question to John, and we'll, this is the subject of our discussion, is will the success of Star Wars and other practical effects heavy films that we've that we've seen come out uh, or have been announced to be to be coming out would do you think we'll see a resurgence in practical effects versus CGI I mean I really hope so that's uh the practical effects has kind of become a bit of a buzzword in uh, in the aftermath of Star Wars and even in uh, even in building up to it and it's like you said, I think one of the reasons why they did it and why they emphasized it so much uh, when they were doing it was because they wanted to give an additional way to differentiate themselves between the prequel trilogy. Because, uh, you know, one of the bigger complaints about the prequel trilogy... Oh, gosh, they're all big complaints. One of the many complaints about the prequel trilogy was that... They exist! <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one biggest complaint right there. Um, is that nothing looked real. Nothing looked like it had any weight or substance. Uh, the characters didn't seem like they were anywhere or actually interacting with anyone. Um, and it just... You just don't... You just don't get that. There, There's a place for CGI and there's a place for practical. And as a filmmaker, you have to understand when to use one and when to use the other. You know, this, this is something I brought up in our Jurassic World review, which I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that you weren't there for because you could have you could have helped me phrase my thoughts a little more articulately. But one of my criticisms of that film was that... The, it was the over-reliance of CG for the dinosaurs and how I couldn't point to a single scene in the film where there were dinosaurs in frame that weren't CG-added creatures and how none of them felt like they had any weight or presence. You know, Whereas you yeah. could compare it to the original Jurassic Park, which, yeah, there were CG dinosaurs used. In fact, that was a film that pioneered CG special effects. But at the same time, there were all there were occasionally like marionettes and other practical effects for the dinosaurs that kind of gave the illusion, kind of kind of bridged the, the the gap of disconnect between what you know is real and what you what the CGI effects are trying to tell you is real. And I felt like that was missing from Jurassic World. Oh yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons that Jurassic Park worked so well, and people still say that its CG holds up better than uh, CG years down the line does, is because they used practical when possible, and CG when it wasn't, uh, well, practical to go practical. Um, so you had some real weight, some real things to compare to, and the CG animators were trying to match their computer designs to the physical props. Uh, whereas these days, a lot of these CG characters just kind of exist in a vacuum without anything physical to compare them to. So you can't look at it and say, oh, well, that doesn't look enough like the prop. We need to, we need to work it a little bit more. But, um... <clears throat> It's the other thing. It's 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 really weird how CG has has gotten because at one point uh, it was being done a lot because uh, well the the main reason you do CG is because there are some things you just cannot do with practical effects no matter how good they get. Uh, another reason why uh, that was it was alleged to be cheaper. Uh, this is no longer the case at this point. If it ever was the case, CG is actually way more expensive than practical because of the 
army of animators that you have to hire in order to get all of those effects into a movie. I mean, that's why the uh, that's the sole reason why movie credits are as long as they are these days. If you uh, if you sit around in those superhero movies waiting for the post credits blurb, you'll see that like, good lord, just a small nation worth of computer animators and multiple companies will scroll by <laughs> towards the end. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's just the real reason. The real reason why it's gotten so over-prevalent is because there has become this weird, um, misguided wisdom in Hollywood uh, that CG is what people want to see more than practical. And I think that more than anything is the mindset that The Force Awakens is going to eliminate. There was this movie called The Thing. Uh, this was not the John Carpenter movie from the 80s, nor the Howard Hawks movie from the 1950s. This was the one, uh, that was made just a couple of years ago as a sequel to the John Carpenter version that was also simply called The Thing. Because, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. Um, this movie, which did not need to exist, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say sequel, it was a prequel. Uh, this movie, which did not need to exist, as most prequels don't, <clears throat> was uh, was promoted uh, the one way they actually got any horror fans excited about this movie at all was it was promoted as going all practical. And it did, in fact, go all practical. They hired some of the best special effects people in the book, or in the book, in the business. Uh, they built really detailed, beautiful props. Uh, they did all kinds of really intense, awesome special effects work movie for that film. And then, some brainless monkey in a suit, who calls himself an executive, looked at the finished film and said, replace it all with CGI. After all of the special effects work had been done and paid for. This guy comes along and says, spend more money to replace it with rushed, half-assed, crappy CGI because that's what America wants to see. And so they did. They spent probably two or three times as much as they spent on the original practical effects, replacing every single beautiful practical effect shot in that movie with an inferior CGI recreation of it. Wow. That is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the story about practical versus CG that pisses me off the most. So I guess I guess now my question is let's let's kind of look at where the, where this mindset came from. Do you think it might be just because you know as human beings we always want the newest and latest and greatest thing, and that's kind of what you know CGI is and sort of the 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 new technology, or do you think it might be? kind of, especially for horror films, kind of a leftover holdover from the, the B-horror movies of, like, the, the 40s and 50s, where it was very obvious that, you know, the creature in Plan 9 from Outer Space was a guy in a suit. <laughs> well, I mean... I realize uh, I'm it, reaching for a big extreme in that example. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing. If, you, if you're going to compare it to, like, the, the 50s and 60s monster and sci-fi movies. I wouldn't go for I wouldn't go for Plan 9. I would go for like Ray Harryhausen stop motion stuff. I would go for like Ymir from uh, 20 Million Miles to Earth or the Skeleton Warriors from Jason and the Argonauts uh, which is still for my money one of the best fight scenes ever put on film. Um, but I mean it is partially because of the new. Uh, the new and the shiny gets a lot of attention, especially once again from those uh, those brainless monkeys in suits that call themselves executives. Because uh, executives are all about trends and buzzwords and high concept stuff and what's popular now, what people are making now. I mean, since Deadpool made so much money as an R-rated superhero movie, we can expect everybody else to try to cash in on that. The first announcement that I heard about that is that apparently Warner Brothers in their infinite wisdom is planning to make an R-rated cut of Batman vs. Superman for the home video market. And much like everything else Warner Brothers has done with the DC Cinematic Universe, that just screams, we want to do what made Marvel the most money, to me. Um, but it wasn't even Marvel, it was Fox! 
Yeah, I know, I know, but still a Marvel character, and he's still getting... And Marvel's actually doing merchandise for this one, so this is a Fox Marvel movie that they're actually willing to acknowledge the existence of. But, um... It, yeah, basically, though, it's, it's... This is how executives think. They see something new that makes uh, a lot of money, and they're like, we have to copy that as quickly as possible and glut the market with things as much like it as possible until this idea runs out of steam and no one spends money on it anymore. And that's just what they do. This is how their tiny little atom-sized brains work. So now going going back to, to Star Wars, I really don't I really don't like talking about this because I really think that, that for all the mistakes he made, George Lucas gets a lot of undue shit uh, for you know from the fan base. But, you know, there was sort of... there's I have to acknowledge that there is a disconnect between the stuff he did in the original trilogy, effects-wise, versus what he did in the prequel trilogy, uh, effects-wise. Um, you know, the, the minimal location shooting, the CGI sets, backgrounds, characters, uh, ships, uh, the whole nine yards. So, I guess my question is, what sort of prompted Lucas... Do you, what do you think prompted Lucas to go from doing things practically uh, in the original trilogy to all CGI? Do you think that, that was sort of a, 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 a sort of he was cashing in on that trend, or do you think that maybe he had just such lofty ideas that he couldn't do them practically, and he wound up shooting for the moon and hitting his neighbor's window? <laughs> now that's a good that's a good analogy right there. Uh, I think it honestly, uh, it, I think it honestly has more to do with George Lucas's uh, personality than it has to do with anything else. Um, before the prequel trilogy came out, there I remember watching an A and E biography special where Ron Howard talked about working with him on American Graffiti, and he gave this little anecdote that uh, he said George was always tired all the time. It seemed like the actual uh, making of the movie wore him out, and they had this conversation where Ron talked to him about going to film school and wanting to be a director and he said something, Lucas said something to him that stuck with him for a while. He said oh, when you're uh, when you're at film school, be sure to take some time to work in the animation department. It's wonderful. It's just pure filmmaking. You don't have to deal with actors and any of their crap and any of this location stuff. And he just and it, Howard of course felt awkward because he's like, well, I'm one of your actors. And, but it says a lot about uh, Lucas's personality and approach to filmmaking, and uh, he apparently had a really bad experience making the original Star Wars. Uh, film sets are chaotic places uh, with a lot of uh, things to, um, a lot of balls to keep in the air, a lot of things can do and will go wrong, and uh, practical effects are yet another variable to put in there because it's, it's like the shark from Jaws all over again, you know, that didn't work correctly half the time they were shooting it. Um, and honestly, you get two different kinds of people uh, in that kind of environment who react to that. There are the kinds of people who relish the challenge, who like the complication, and like problem-solving on the fly. It's exciting and interesting and engaging to them. And you get the kind of people who just get worn down by it and are just like, fuck, why can't something go right? And okay, just get so exhausted. So now, I asked this question as devil's advocate to get sort of both sides of it. Like, you mentioned the, the, the Jaws animatronic that never worked, okay? Why would you continue to go with something like that and not just say, okay, hang it all, let's just do this thing CGI? You know? Well, I mean, most people... Oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Well, I was, I was going to elaborate, because the, 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 the thing is, like... You know, yeah, the Jaws animatic, st the, the you know, Jaws is still one of the, the, the best movies out there today. It still holds up today. But to hear the stories of having to put up with that damn thing, it seems almost like if you went and said, okay, you, if you went to Spielberg back then and said, you know, one day you'll be able to do all this with computers, like, he would burn you, he, he would he would look at you as a, as a god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, let, let's face it. If you don't have a reason not to do it, I mean, it's the same reason... Uh, it's the same reason why digital editing and ADR have changed filmmaking so much. Because it used to be you had to get everything right in the take, or you had to keep doing takes until you got it right. Now you can you can do color correction, you can adjust lighting. If the dialogue is murky, you can get the actors back into a sound booth and record it over again, which is ADR for those who don't know. Um, <coughs> you can do a lot more 
And, you know, some people say, well, that's just made filmmakers lazier. But uh, at the same time, it's like, well, it's also honestly made filmmaking a much smaller pain in the ass than it used to be. And I don't think there is any director of the last hundred years who would have turned down any of these tools if they had been presented to them. So it's less the fault of the tool and more how it's been used. Exactly, because it can promote laziness. And it does promote laziness, because Hollywood is... It's its a business. Uh, films are art, but movie making in Hollywood is a business. And it's all about executives uh, dropping ungodly amounts of money into a film budget and wanting their money made back uh, with extra money and it's a big risk and you know I criticize them as much as anyone else but one of the reasons why they're so risk averse is because of how big film budgets are these days um, they don't want to be like uh, gods of Egypt and spend a hundred million dollars on their movie and make 14 million dollars in the opening weekend um just to pick the most recent flop example. I mean, let's not get started on things like Waterworld. So, I, but, I, uh, so now going 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 off of that, you mentioned uh, spiraling, ballooning budgets. Do you think oh, yeah. that maybe what's happening here is just sort of a, 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 a sort of a self perpetuating cycle? It's like, okay, we spent all of this money on this on the big CG film, it flopped. We can't, you know, we, we can't take the risk of going back to doing practical effects because the CGI has worked up to this point. There is something to that, yeah. It's like you said uh, earlier, it's it's the new thing, and people kind of like the idea of technology and effects and all that advancing kind of forward in a straight line. You know, we don't have... Uh, we laugh sometimes at the special effects of older movies because they look so primitive compared to what we can do now. And people want to keep pushing that uh, that progression. And I'm sure there are people in Hollywood, uh, maybe even uh, people in the audience, they could be correct about that, who would see going back to, you know, rubber puppets and the like as a step backwards. Which I, um, which I guess brings us back to Star Wars. Because one of the things that, that you talked about, especially when in our, in our, our Star Wars episode that we did during the holidays... <laughs> I what, see the words you were avoiding there. <laughs> was how it was how this movie had to look and feel of a of the original trilogy, and a lot a large part of that you attribute to the fact that so many of the effects were practical. So I guess now my question is: Do you think part of the charm of practical effects is it's is that maybe it's like going to see a magician in Vegas, and you know he makes the the the, the girl disappear in the box, and you kind of sitting looking, like, wow, how did they do that? Because with CGI, I mean the answer is obvious: computers. There's no real mystery. But with practical effects, there's sort of like kind of this behind the scenes puzzle that we're subconsciously trying to work out. Yeah, and that's I think that has a lot to do with the appeal of it, honestly, because. Um, I mean, you you get um, you used to have entire shows on um, on TV that would be all about uh, special effects technology and how they did it, the different uh, puppets and techniques and things that they used. Uh, you'd get uh, there used to be one. I'm wanting to say it was on A and E too that I can't remember. Movie Magic. That was the name of it. That was just called Movie Magic. And uh, that, that's telling right there in its title. It's like magic. It's like watching a magician work. You want to know how they did it. And uh, it's... it's The thing with the CGI effects, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why they're both as popular in Hollywood as they are now, and also why people are getting so tired of them, is because I've heard this complaint made many a time by many a critic. A lot of big budget action y, superhero y, special effects laden movies start looking kind of like a video game after a while. And not, not in a good way, because video games, you know, God knows they've advanced into a proper art form at this point uh, with their, their storytelling and everything like that, but. It looks like something... So, so much so that movies are now starting to crib notes them. See, Hardcore yeah. Henry. <laughs> yeah, God, that cracked me up. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's they are cribbing notes from them because video games are now making so much more money than they are. Of course, video games are also spending way more money than they are to get made, but that's a whole other topic. But um, 
And the problem is it does eventually start to look like it. It starts to look like something that has no reality, that has no existence in physical space. And it's one thing if you are playing a video game and you've already suspended that disbelief and everything that you're seeing is virtual. You can create like a virtual space in your own mind for that and it's not as bad, but when you're looking at a movie and you have real stuff next to the video gaming looking CG stuff, I think it creates more of a disconnect. Well, yeah, because it's it's, it's, it, it's an uncanny valley effect. Because it's like you said, when you're playing a video game, you know subconsciously that everything you're seeing is a, a collection of ones and zeros sculpted into whatever you're seeing. Whereas if you're watching a film and you know you see like you know Chris Pratt standing next to a CG Velociraptor, you know mm-hmm. you, it's it it's a bit of a different cell to try and reconcile seeing what you know is a real person next to what you know is a virtual creation. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing some of the pushback. Uh, There is another uh, thing that I think is going to lead to more pushback, though, which uh, I feel like we should bring up because this is a chance for people who like new technology to get excited about practical again. Uh, And that would be the rise of 3D printing. Because we are starting to see productions using 3D printing to create some of their practical effects, uh, props and uh, puppets and makeup designs. It's starting to happen more and more often. Uh, American Horror Story is a particularly noteworthy example of a show that very heavily used 3D printing um, in its most recent uh, season. What was it? Um, uh, Sideshow or something like that? I don't pay attention. Yeah, I'm, I am I really don't either, for the most part. Freak show, that's what it was. Uh, but they had uh, a whole two-headed woman character where uh, they did the second head, I believe, uh, fully 3D printed. And uh, they've done several other things like that. And it's not super common practice, but it's starting to become more common practice. And I think we can see it becoming more and more common as time goes on. Because, hey... Once again, this is an example of technology. 3D printing can do things that traditional sculpting and designing uh, can't do. So we're going to see practical effects being pushed in brand new directions that they never could have gone in before. And that's enough to get people excited about it. So do you think, like we, like we did a show a couple years ago about all these visual effects companies that are going out of business, do you think that we're going to see like a resurgence in, in, in jobs for, you know, like Imagineers at Disney or practical engineers for film effects studios? Do you think, we're, do you think that the sort of the, the, the job economy for, for, for filmmaking is going to get a boost from this, uh, from this push? What I, I, I can't say for sure about that, but one thing that I could see happening, uh, it may or may not happen, but this is just me theorizing about the possible future, you know, gazing into my little magic eight ball. Um, what I could see happening is I could see the practical effects shops and the visual effects shops, the virtual effects shops, starting to converge more. Uh, because I, since I did mention CG or uh, 3D printing, the first step that uh, you have in in 3D printing is you have to design what you're going to print. And you have to do that virtually, and that right there is uh, you can do it two ways. You either get an actual physical object and you scan it in with a 3D scanner, or you have a CGI designer who sculpts it and makes it in digital space and then it's printed for real so right there you've got the overlap between the practical people and the CG people you've got them (laughs) the CG people I'm sorry I cracked myself up with the way I put that you've got the um a possible convergence of both of them under one tent under one umbrella and I'd like to see something like that honestly because the the biggest way, the best way, I think, to bridge these gaps and make visual effects, make special effects, make movies look better would be, honestly, to have them working together again, working in tandem again, like they were on Jurassic Park. Because they can boost each other's work that way instead of working in a vacuum. 
I mean, you look at the credits on any movie, like I said, and you'll see hundreds and hundreds of CG effects people and like four or five different studios, different uh, visual effects studios all around the world. It's a wonder that movies don't turn out as an incoherent mess with that happening. So I don't know. It could happen that they start coming back under one tent again, or maybe I'm just talking straight out my ass. I don't know. It's what I'd like to see. Now, uh, one of the, the, the common cries that I've, I've heard in, as far as criticizing CG is that it's harder for the actors to emote when they're reacting to when they're basically reacting to nothing. So do you think that with this ri- with this hypothetical rise in practical effects, we might also see sort of a growth in in skilled actors as a consequence of this? Do you think that maybe, you know, some people who have kind of maybe languished in all CGI films might just might discover that they work better with practical effects and we might see sort of a, a, a another kind of a resurgence in acting talent? Well, I mean, it's possible. I've always been of two minds about that uh, that particular complaint about actors, um, about, oh, well, people just can't act as well if there's nothing there for them to look at or react at or if they're just standing in front of a green screen. And I can kind of see that point, but at the same time, if any of these people have had a stage acting background then they're already re- they're already experienced with filling in details in their mind. I mean, on a stage, you can have just a black backdrop, a, a bench, and, like, one single fake tree, and be like, oh, it's a park at night. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. And if, if any actor has done that before, they should, in my opinion, be able to make the transition to a CG set or CG creatures fairly fairly well but I mean not all of them have had that background and not all of them I guess are able to do that kind of um that kind of imaginary legwork so I I guess for those those actors and it would be a boon to have the physical effects back although even those aren't completely free of their pitfalls um uh to use another example there's an old horror movie of which I'm very fond called uh, Pumpkinhead from the 80s Uh, directed by Stan Winston, his directorial debut. And there is a scene where the title creature is menacing this boy in a closet and lunging at him. And the kid is laughing at the creature. Like, if you pay attention to his expression, even though he's dubbed over with screams, you can tell he's laughing. And he admits to it. He owns that he was laughing because he'd done it so many times and been around this thing so many times and had you know, horsed around with the guy in the suit so many times that he he had a very difficult time taking it seriously anymore and pretending to be scared of it. So it's not like CG or uh, practical effects will immediately fix everything with a performance, because you will run into situations like that too, where it honestly would have been easier to pretend to be scared of thin air. So I don't know. I've seen that criticism before. I, I see some of it as being valid, but not a not a hundred percent. But of course, you know, every studio is run a little bit differently. So, what are what are some studios that you could see possibly embracing sort of a return to practical effects? What are some that you think are going to be like, no, 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 CGI always? Oh, now that is a very very good question. Um, I would like to see Universal embracing practical effects a bit more. I'm skeptical that they're going to because you know they're. They're the ones who were behind the aforementioned Thing movie, and they recently did, relatively recently did, Dracula Untold, which had hordes and hordes of unnecessary CG bats, and they're currently working on the reboot, reboot of The Mummy, uh, because they're trying to launch their own Universal Monsters cinematic universe, um, which don't get me started on that either. I would like to see them try. I doubt they will. Um, I definitely know that uh, Lucasfilm is going to be embracing it more because of how well um, uh, Episode 7 did, and I know they've got a few projects coming up that would benefit from it. Uh, Who else? I would honestly like to see Marvel Studios trying a bit more with Practical. Uh, They have not been among the worst offenders when it comes to overuse of CGI. And God knows there are certain characters in the Marvel Universe that just have to be done with CG. But 
I just like to see them try branching out with a little bit branching out with it a little bit more, you know? It, it would have been interesting to see one or two shots in Guardians of the Galaxy with Rocket Raccoon where he wasn't a CG character or Groot. Maybe some of the close-ups or something like that. But, I don't know. Honestly, it's hard for me to say which individual studios are going to embrace it and which ones aren't because I see it as such an individual per-movie decision. It's going to have a lot more to do with the specific directors, I think, that's gonna, and producers than it's going to have with the studios. Okay, so uh, we're kind of running short on time here, so let's kind of start wrapping up. So I guess, uh, if, you know... Final, you know, final prediction. Look in your crystal ball. Where do you do? You, do you see this hypothetical resurgence of practical effects that we've been discussing? Do you see that actually happening, or do you think that it's all just kind of wishful thinking on our part? I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's uh, it's actually going to happen. Uh, it's probably going to happen uh, more and more as a result of budgets getting tighter than it is for anything else. Because like I said, we uh, if CG ever was less expensive than practical, we are way past the days when that was the case. And uh, with 3D printing coming into the mix now, that actually makes uh, physically manufacturing these props cheaper. So we're going to see more and more people, more and more studios and projects resorting to this than there used to be. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of when, really, it's going to reach that point. And we're probably going to see it more in smaller, quirkier projects uh, first before we see anything in the big stuff. Like the Five Nights at Freddy movie. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. We're going to see a lot of practical stuff in the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, that's about all the time that we have for Nerd of the Third Power this week. Uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. So thanks again. As always, I'm Dr. Gonzo. I'm the cat. Wait, no, I'm not. Am I Brian? Sky? Who am I? <gasps> Someone who I'm going to fire if he doesn't get his act together. <laughs> Alright, we'll see you next week. Taka, play us out. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Da, 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 da.